Amen. Welcome to, to everybody in the room. You can have a seat. Oh, good morning. There's, there's standing, there's, it's standing room only in here. There's people everywhere, everybody. Oh, hi. Hi, I just wanted to say hello to everybody at home. Just thank, oh man, thank you for being here. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. And thank you so much once again to Rolanda Carter. Who blessed us this morning with worship. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good day to be alive. It's a beautiful day outside. I mean, just gosh, I'm, I'm looking forward to like just being outside today, enjoying the, and the weather. Um, and uh, it's Sunday, so we worship God. Um, and uh, good morning. So um, kids are already dismissed. That's cool. So I did that check. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I hope you may be you know, Dan and I were talking before uh, service about, you know, the, the, the best Christmas gifts are ones that, that you didn't expect, expect, the ones you didn't see coming. I mean, I say that's one thing, like, you know, you, you, you ask for a thing, you know, I'd really like this thing, and then that thing comes, and you open it on Christmas morning, and you're like, oh, yeah, I, thank you very much. This is actually is something I really wanted, but I always, you know, kind of saw it coming. Um, but, but then every now and then you get a gift, and it's like, oh, gosh, I just did, I, I didn't see that coming. It just came, like, and this is, and especially like a really extravagant gift. Like my, my, my dad just gave me a, uh, a, a, a pellet grill smoker uh, for, for Christmas. Uh, 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 it arrived about a month ago. It was just like on the front lawn. Didn't, didn't see it coming. Didn't, didn't know it was going to be there. It just, we opened up our front door one day and there's this grill like in the front lawn. Uh, and so we, we ended up bringing it inside and we set it up because I didn't want to set it up in the freezing cold. And so we actually set it up in the living room uh, and there it has remained for the past month. And so I really need a hand with somebody to get the, get the thing outside. Um, but uh, I'm really looking forward to trying this thing out because it's, it's going to be awesome. But um, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of John chapter 1. Uh, throughout Advent, we were in kind of a John pregame. Um, we looked at a few uh, Old Testament prophecies um, that kind of set, um, uh, set us up to study the book of John. Specifically, there was that one verse from Zephaniah uh, where we get the title of our series. Really, this is the title of the series that we're going to be in from now all the way to the start of Lent um, called God in Our Midst. Um, that, that God is in our midst. He is mighty to save uh, he will take great delight in you. It's God's desire to take great delight in you because he loves you with a reckless, overwhelming love. Um, and then on good, uh, Christmas Eve, we, we talked about um, the, uh, the, the beginning, in the beginning, and we're going to read that. We're going to start at the beginning as well of, of John and kind of do a running start to today's text. But we talked about um, how, how Matthew and, and Luke, you know, paint these stories of, of Jesus and the manger and Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph and the typical story. But John, he starts the story in a completely different way. He, 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 he takes almost a, a philosophical approach, but, but then shows us that, that whatever wisdom, whatever thought, whatever knowledge um, that there exists, that this divine command, I mean, we just said, if you, if you said it, we believe it, uh, this divine command, um, there was the, the personification and then the dwelling of God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. It's, it's all here in the beginning of John. So let's begin um, with John 1 right at the beginning in verse 1. And I'll read the whole thing through. In the beginning 
was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word is a he, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist, not the author John. There was a a man sent from God whose name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light, to wake folks up. God's on the move that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, right? Um, But he came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world via a baby in the manger. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own. We, we, we are his own. His own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born... Not of blood, meaning not because you were born into the right family. And not of the will of the flesh, because like, you know, we decided to earn our way into God's good graces. Or by the will of man, meaning like because somebody with like religious power told you that you're now in the family of God. No, no, no. Like you were born of God because he is a loving heavenly father. And the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of, and get this, grace and truth. See, John bore witness about about him and and cried out. He he said, you know, this is he of whom I said, he he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Like, this guy that's going to come, he was actually around far long before I was, guys. For from his fullness, for from the fullness of the holiness and majesty and sovereignty of God, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Extravagant, overwhelming, reckless love. For the law was given through Moses. You know, Paul talks about how the, the law, um, it, it was like a teacher. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a guardian. Um, it, was some, it was something that God had given us to help know the boundaries of how to live this life. The law was given through Moses, but, but grace and truth. Grace and truth, the, the authoritative interpretation of that law came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He, he has made God known. You, you want to get to know God? You, you, want to, you want to get to know Jesus. And this is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, you, to ask him, hey, uh, who are you? He confessed, and he did not, not deny, he, he confessed Guys, I am not the Christ. I'm not the guy. John the Baptist was really, really, he really wanted to press that point. I'm not the guy. I just point to the guy. And they ask him, well, okay, well, then, are, are you Elijah? He said, no. Are you, are, you the, 
are you a prophet or the prophet? He said, no. And they asked him, who, who are you? We, we need to give an answer because, you know, these, these like, big powerful people sent us to ask you this question. So who, who, what do you say about yourself? And John said, you want to know who I am? I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, it's a quote from Isaiah 40. So they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, well, why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, why, why are you baptizing? John answered them, I, I baptize with water. But among you, out there, um, among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. Th- this guy that's going to come after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, he saw Jesus. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, he sees Jesus there and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is, this is the guy. This is he of whom I said after me. You remember how I said after me comes a man who ranks before me, but he was before me? That's the guy. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel, to God's people, to God's family. And John bore witness. John the Baptist says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, the Prince of Peace, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and done uh, and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So there, there was a phrase that we looked at on Christmas Eve that I think that we really, 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 really shouldn't go past too quickly, and that's the phrase, grace and truth. John tells us that with the arrival of Jesus came God's full measure. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. With the arrival of Jesus came God's full measure of grace and truth. I think that in general, we're, we're happy with both as long as they're on our terms, right? We're happy to define for ourselves where God's grace should land. And we're also, uh, we, we get into the, the habit of, of defining what truth is. At times, we want the grace without the truth. And at other times, you know, especially when we're kind of uh, passing judgment on other people, we, we want the truth without the grace. But following Jesus, following Jesus is about both. Following Jesus is about trusting in God's overwhelming, reckless love. When when God tells us about the sort of grace that God gives us, he, he describes it as grace upon grace. God's grace is extravagant. It's spilling over. I mean, imagine... You know, um, God's grace is water, which is an analogy that, that Jesus is actually going to use later on in John's gospel. And you fill this glass of water all the way to the brim, and then you try to walk across the room. It's going to spill over. But, but the truth is that grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. So if sun spills out, all the better. Let's, let's be more reckless with our grace. Let's be more reckless with our kindness. 
Let's be more reckless with our love. Let's, let's give it to people who didn't deserve it. God tells us that from God's fullness, we have received grace upon, our, upon grace. You know, from the fullness of God's cup, we have received grace upon grace. I'm missing it. mixing analogies there a bit, but I, I hope you get my point. So if your thought is that, you know, that's for other people. It's not for me. I think that you've missed the point of grace. So hear me on, on this, friends. God's grace is for you. God's grace is for you. Your heavenly Father is crazy about you. God knows everything about your past. He actually knows more about your past than you do. He knows more about your past mistakes and the consequences of your mistakes than you ever could. He knows exactly the sort of situation that you find yourself in right now. And he hopes that you will live into his grace in the future. It's not like God's love for you is like something he did on the side. John tells us that it is from his fullness, from the depths of his being, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. God just can't stop throwing grace at us. But, but then we transition to truth. And as we transition to truth, there's one more aspect of grace that, that I think we need to consider. You see, it, it's possible, even likely, that at some point in all of our lives, we will all fall into an entitlement trap in regards to grace. We should caution each other about that. There's a big difference now between expectation and entitlement. We I think it's good to expect God's grace because we know the sort of God he is. He is slow to anger and rich in kindness. God desires to forgive. You should expect that from God because of who he is. We know that it is in his nature to be a loving father, but we're entitled to none of it. And that's a tough pill to swallow. We, we sing the, the reckless love song all the time. It's, it's one of the most popular Christian tunes on Christian radio, and we sing it here a lot. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give your love away. Maybe you've wanted to push back on that line. Because we live in a culture of entitlement. We love to tell each other, you deserve it. Treat yourself, you know. It's easy to fall into that trap because our culture often equates self-worth with entitlement. We often assume that if we don't deserve something, then that means that we don't have value. And I'm definitely not saying that. We have great value in the eyes of God. What I'm, but I am saying is that it's not because we deserve God's love. That's not intended as an insult. It's intended as truth. You see, we have God's love because that's who God is, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it. I know that's hard to hear, but, but think of a child who comes up to his parents and says, you know, Mom, Dad, um, what good things do I need to do this week to earn your love? That would be ridiculous, right? If my, one of my sons came up to me and said that, I, I, well, nothing you, you'd say. You, you'd, 
You don't have to do anything to earn my love. You have my love. You always will have my love. There will never be a time you don't have my love. What the kid deserves or doesn't deserve is, is, is immaterial. You don't love your kids because they deserve it. You love your kids because they're your kids. In the same way, God doesn't love us because we deserve it. He loves us because he is our father. And just like loving parents design boundaries for their children to obey, God has instructed us via his word on how to live and how not to live. Grace wouldn't mean anything if it wasn't for truth. And the truth is we break the boundaries quite often. The, the word sin, as you probably know, it means to miss the mark. And, and just speaking for myself, I, I miss the mark quite a bit. John mentioned that the law was, was given through Moses, like those Ten Commandments. If I'm looking at the Ten Commandments and I'm checking those off, you're like, I don't think I get a passing grade. And frankly, Jesus only raised the bar with teachings, with his teachings, like the, like the ones we see in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you know, you've heard of the laws that tell you not to murder and not to commit adultery. Well, I tell you, whoever is angry at his brother is liable to judgment. I tell you, whoever looks at, a, at another person objectively and, and, and objectifies another person in lust, they've committed adultery in their heart. Sure, Jesus says, I don't want you to murder people and I don't want you to commit adultery, but, but this was always about your heart. And the truth is that, that my heart often misses the mark. It misses the mark quite often. So where does that leave us? Should we just throw up our arms and complain to God that he set the bar too high? No. He desires holiness before us, uh, for us because God is a loving father. He does, his desire is that we should be, as, 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 as we saw there in the text, his desire is that we should be sanctified by his Holy Spirit, presented to God blameless, and live a life not of, not of entitlement, not because I, I deserve this, these good things, but in response to the good things, in response to the grace that he has provided. The Apostle Paul, he said, oh, well, well, then should we just like keep sinning so that grace might abound? The more our sin, the more grace, right? And if grace is a good thing and God's going to forgive us anyway, shouldn't we just sin more and more and more? To this, Paul says an emphatic no. No, the path ahead of us, the one of following Jesus, the path ahead is a path of grace and truth. It is a path of living out this response to God's overwhelming, reckless love, but it's also trusting that he is the master, not us. He defines truth, not us. He is the father, and we follow him. So the first half chapter in John is filled to the brim with symbolism and, and references to the larger narrative. Uh, the reason John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River because he was calling them to repentance. Now, now repentance, you probably know, um, is a directional word. To repent literally means to change direction or, or even to turn around. Repentance isn't about being perfect. Uh, it's not like, well, I've repented, so therefore I am, I am done. I'm, I'm, I'm holy now. No, repentance is about pointing yourself in a new direction, in God's direction. And John isn't telling folks that, like, act more righteous because God's impending arrival is coming. You know, everybody, hey, look, look busy. Jesus is coming. No, 
John the Baptist was baptizing with water because he wanted the crowds to wake up. He wanted to remind Israel who they were. He was a prophet. John the Baptist was a prophet, and like all prophets of the exilic period, he was calling God's people to repent, to change direction away from idolatry and injustice, to to change what's, what's idolatry. It's putting something else on the throne other than God. What's injustice? It's not treating other people with love. But, but, He's calling people to repent and change direction from idolatry and injustice and seek God's kingdom. But, but he's also hinting at salvation language here. God's people has, has been, have been in exile in one way or the other for over 500 years. We just did a, a, a series on the book of Daniel. Daniel was writing at the beginning of the exile episode. And now John the Baptist is writing, he, he's speaking right at the end And now John the Baptist is telling the crowds, he says, wake up, guys. The exile is ending. God is on the move. The religious leaders, they come to John and they ask him, you know, who who are you exactly? And he replies, I'm I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Wake up. Could we think about a time in the Bible now Get this. Can we think about a time in the Bible when God's people were in the wilderness and a highway was made for them, the, the highway through water, no less, that delivered them from evil? The Red Sea crossing. John's already mentioned Moses. He's kind of turn, turning up the volume on Moses a bit there. He's telling them to get ready because God is about to do the work of deliverance. He's about to do a work of salvation. God is going to invite his people to once again come through the water towards the direction of God. Repent, and as you repent and move in this new direction, you are going to come through the waters of baptism and be sanctified. And this new Moses, this new guy that's going to come, John says, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap on his sandal." Now that's an interesting thing for John the Baptist to say. Do you find it ironic? Bit of a side note, but not really. Do you find it ironic that John the Baptist should make a comment here about how he is unworthy to untie the strap of Jesus' sandal when 12 chapters from now, in John 13, Jesus is going to gather his disciples He's going to have supper with them. He's going to get down on his hands and knees and take every one of their sandals off to wash their feet. It all comes to bear, you see. When we see that the means of salvation, the way of deliverance, the way made straight through the wilderness out of exile is humility and sacrificial love. That's how Jesus, that's the the love that Jesus modeled And it's also the instrument of our ministry. It's what we do, what we are called to do as we follow Jesus in a broken world. Humility, I love to think of this, humility is the Christian's superpower. Humility is the power that God is... Just just try being humble. Just try being sacrificial when, when, when maybe it wasn't, didn't seem like the right time to do it. Try to take... The, 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 the sacrificial route, to, to make the sacrificial play one time. Try to be humble and just watch. Just watch what God's going to do with your humility. Just watch 
what happens when you take yourself off the throne and trust that Jesus is the one true king of kings. So we've heard about Jesus, and now in verse 29, we, we actually see him. That happens when, John, when Jesus approaches John the Baptist, and we hear John say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mentioning the Lamb, of course, is, that's temple language. Israel would, would go to the temple to make a sacrifice to atone for sin. You also may know that earlier, when the author John mentioned that the Word had become flesh, he said that the word had dwelt among us. Now, the word dwelt, it literally means to, to make a tent or, or to encamp. And it's specifically used to describe how, God's, uh, how God dwelt with his people in the wilderness via the tabernacle. So you could actually translate verse, 20, verse 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now, the tabernacle and the, the temple after it was where heaven and earth came together. It was where heaven and earth met. It, it was where God resided. Follow me here now, because the author John is making reference to how Jesus is the new tabernacle. In Jesus is the intersection of heaven and earth, as he, Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. And John the Baptist is referencing how Jesus is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. It's, it's Aslan who's going to climb up on that uh, rock and, and, and give himself uh, Narnia reference. Sorry. Anyway, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God puts on flesh and becomes the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb. All of this on top of the language about God being the, about the Word being God and, and God's wise knowledge manifestation of the logos all being God at the same time. And at the beginning also, uh, at the beginning and the creator of all things. I, I just, I am overwhelmed sometimes at the Bible. I'm overwhelmed that, 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 that there are some folks who, who believe that this was all like a setup, that this was all like a hoax. Like, if this was a hoax, it's got to be the most brilliant hoax that has ever uh, existed on, on planet Earth. Over a thousand years, all these people seem to be pointing in the same direction, all these different authors. The Bible is really cool. But where does it leave us? We could actually keep going on that if you want to pick through John 1. Uh, join a house church, because that's where we do those kind of things. But I want to return to the phrase that we began with, grace and truth. Because let's be careful not to separate those two terms. They really aren't two different things, like God's grace is over here and God's truth is over there. They are two sides of the same coin. The truth is that God commands us to be holy as he is holy because he loves us. And he tells us that the wages of sin is death. He tells us the wages of sin is death because he loves us as well. God's desire is that we would break free from sin and death and enter into a relationship with him. To, to do that, he sent his son Jesus Christ into our world to dwell in our midst and to be the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So, let's get real practical. I mean, where are you with that this morning? Remember that kid 
who, who comes to his parents and he asks, hey, what good thing can I do to, to earn my parents' love? You know, the response of the parents is rightly, that, that would rightly be that they didn't have to do anything. The kids didn't have to do anything to earn their love. But, but, but that certainly doesn't excuse them. It doesn't excuse the child from obedience. Just because the child has their parents' grace and their parents' love doesn't mean they are free to ignore the truth of what it looks like to show their parents that they love them. So they do the dishes and they mow the lawn and they clean the room because that's their responsibility as the member of a family. In the same way, we have a responsibility as a member of God's family. We have a responsibility to walk the path of grace and truth, to, to, to live in response to the grace that God has shown us, but live in the truth that he alone is on the throne. Obedience was never about earning God's love, but there are ways that we can show him that we love him. Paul tells us that we should strive to live a life worthy of our calling. So, last Sunday of 2021, let me just ask, is there anything in your life that needs to stay in 2021? Is there anything that, is there any baggage? Is there any things that like, God, I can't take this into another year. I I need to put this down here so that I can start new, so that I can repent and enter into 2022 in a new direction, in the direction of God's kingdom. I know it's not as easy as all that, but let me ask it another way. What what is a step? What's just one step of obedience that you could be intentional about as we move into this next year? I mean, maybe, maybe it's confessing a sin that you've never spoken out loud before. I mean, sometimes just confessing a sin can, 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 can actually give us a whole lot more perspective because when we keep sin inside of us, it, it, it festers and it gets in our head and we're like, gosh, I... I just want to speak it. Sometimes if I speak it, pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, unjust anger, laziness, when we speak it, it it's, it's like we're, you know, to excuse the term, but like vomiting out this poison, this ugliness. And, and when we do that, we look for a drink of water, which God is happy to provide. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, unjust anger, laziness. We tell ourselves these lies that we are the only people that struggle with such things. Oh gosh, if they only knew. If they only knew. Like, I got news for you. You're not the only one who struggles with sin. Maybe it's, maybe it's for you, it's, it's, it's a need to get a cup of coffee with somebody and just be honest with them. Asking someone to hold you accountable. Maybe, maybe you write down a, a question on a piece of paper and you give it to somebody you trust. and You say, hey man, I need you to ask me this question from time to time because I need people to ask me this. Um, I, need to ask, I need people to ask me if I'm, if I'm walking in the right direction. Maybe it's living a life. Maybe for you it's a, it's a step of living a life of intentional discipleship. Joining a house church or um, committing to a, to a devotional time each day. Maybe it's reading a book that you've been putting off. Maybe it's spending more time with the word. Maybe it's, maybe it's stepping up to serve your community here at the church. We've got lots of things in the new year uh, that, are, that are brewing that we want to be doing in the new year, hopefully, as we move past this pandemic. So that means we have lots of service opportunities, ways that we can be involved here in the church, but also ways that we can be involved out in the neighborhood. There is so much 
uh, going on in the neighborhood of Catonsville that to, to be excited about. Or if, you're not, if you don't live in Catonsville, in wherever the neighborhoods that you live, there is so much to do. Maybe for you, um, stepping into a, a, a position of service is where God is calling you. Maybe it's, maybe let's just get real practical. Maybe it's just about doing your job better. Maybe it's about like caring for your schoolwork if you're a student a little bit more than you have been doing. You know, as Paul says, you know, are we doing our work, whether it's schoolwork or, or a job? Are, are we doing, you are, you are actually working, you should be working as unto the Lord. You know, that, that like you should be working as if God's your boss because you know what? He is. Or, or maybe it looks like just realigning your priorities, your possessions, your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure, your money. That realigning your, the things that, that you have to be, to be more in step with God's kingdom rather than your own. I mean, for you, is there anything in your life that is in competition with God? You know, what did, what did Amy say on Friday night? He, he, she, she, she talked about how... Um, our call is to be good listeners. Um, and that we also talked about, you know, how God, uh, it, John presses this thing whole, in the beginning was the word, uh, the word that, that God's creative um, power is manifested in the beginning, in, in the beginning, in the beginning, uh, with his command, let there be light. God said it, and therefore it is true. Um, so are we listening is there anything, if God is talking to us and, and his way is the way of truth, is there anything else, whether it be, you know, things that we look at online or news that we're following a little too closely um, or maybe a substance like alcohol or drugs or I don't know what it is, wh- whatever it is, is there anything that is taking your attention away from where it needs to be? Is there anything that you would say, I don't have control over that? You know, it's one thing, all things in moderation, right? You know, God wants us to, be, to, to, to appreciate this life, to take great joy in this life, but he doesn't want us to be out of control. The self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Is there, is there anything in your life that you can identify and say, you know, I don't have control over that? Or maybe, really simple, let's just basic, maybe for you here on the last Sunday of 2021, Maybe for you, this is all that one step of obedience is just simply acknowledging for the first time or maybe for the millionth time that you need Jesus. That you need Jesus. That to, to say, I, I can't do this on my own. I, I can't do this on my own. Uh, and I don't have to live like this anymore. That was, that was a really cool thing. One time I, I saw a speaker who... Who, who was talking about sin, and um, he, he, he said that, and the way that he said it, it just kind of like bounced around the room as the room was in utter silence. You don't have to live like that anymore. These, the, whatever it is, whatever is inside of you, the, the competitive voices um, or, or our sins or our idolatry or whatever it is, you, you don't have to live like that. Uh, Jesus came to show us a better way. And also, you don't have to do it alone. This was never something, Christianity was never a solo sport. If you feel like I have nobody, that's what the church is for. We should be encouraging each other. We should be reminding each other, hey, we are all sinners in need of of, of Jesus. Oh, you need Jesus? I need Jesus too. 
We all need Jesus. We are all a community of people who are in need of Christ. Christianity has been described by some as being, you know, um, one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Um, What does it look like for us to maybe just take that one, what is just one little step, one step that we could take towards the kingdom uh, as we close out this year? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, um, for your majesty, for your um, for your sovereignty over our lives. Father, I, I thank you that you um, sent your son with the full measure of grace, grace and truth. Father, we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, but still, you give your love to us. You throw grace upon grace upon grace at us because you are a loving Father who has arms open waiting for us to come home to you. You saw us coming, Lord. You you were looking for us. Lord, help us to to be the ones who run into your arms. Help us to to have that strength. Help us to, to remind each other that you are there, that you're not silent, that you are alive, and that you have a promise and a purpose for your people on earth as it is in heaven. Father, help us to seek first your kingdom. Help us to confess those things that are getting in the way. Anything that stands in the way between between me and you, Father, help me to name those things and help me to have brothers and sisters around me who will help me remove that stuff and help me remove that clutter and trust in your sanctifying and redeeming love. Lord, we love you. And we give this day to you. We give uh, our lives to you today. It's in the most holy name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen.